folks, I guess, um, <clears throat> at least some acknowledgement of and uh, a, a word of apology, too, I suppose, is in order. Uh, my emotional tank is about up to here always, and uh, it's overflowing <laughs> this morning. Thank you. Thank you. David, I don't want it to be anytime soon, <clears throat> but uh, when I go home, I want that group to do this. If you have your Bible, would you turn with me, please, to Acts chapter 16. <clears throat> I have brought at least two messages on this passage previously. <clears throat> My thought for the last couple of sermons that I would have the privilege of delivering here at Wake Chapel. Last week, I chose the greatest text, John 3.16. This morning, the greatest question. And then, Lord willing, next week, we'll talk about the greatest incentive. So that's where I'm coming from and uh, trust that the Lord will enable us to understand his word and be open to the ministry of God, the Holy Spirit. Would you pray with me, please? Father, it is your word that we have opened before us. It is an errant. And we have been given, because of our faith in you, God, the Holy Spirit, to reside within us and to be our teacher. And we pray that we might have that ministry of the Spirit of God this morning to our hearts. And we thank you that we do not have to depend on uh, men and women to, to, to be the final arbiters of the Word of God, that the Spirit of God is the teacher. We thank you for that. Thank you for your precious Word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Life is filled with important questions. Questions like... Do you take this man that you hold by the right hand to be your lawful and wedded husband before God in this company of witnesses present? You promise to love him, honor him, and to cherish him, uh, and be to him a true and a faithful wife so long as the two of you shall live? Or another important question. In the matter pending before this court, do you solemnly swear to tell the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help you, God. And some of us have had the unhappy experience of being asked, do you know how fast you were driving? <laughs> or, did you not see that stop sign back there? If you've been asked those questions, it probably cost you the price of a traffic ticket. Important questions, though. And the Bible is filled with questions of even greater significance. You know many of them. What is truth? What shall I do with this man? How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? What shall we do that we might work the works of God? <clears throat> and there are other questions. These are great questions from the Bible. But there is another question that far surpasses all of these. It is the most important question. It is the supreme question. The Bible question is expressed in a variety of ways. 
a lawyer and a rich young ruler went to Jesus and asked, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Nicodemus apparently intended to ask Jesus, what must I do to enter the kingdom of heaven? Jesus anticipated his question and really answered the question before Nicodemus ever asked it. After Peter preached, people asked the question, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Though the wording varies in each of these instances, the question being asked is the same. And that is, what must I do to be saved? It is the supreme, the greatest question. For on the answer to that question rests the resting place that we will have for all eternity. Now, our society today would answer this question in a variety of ways. Some would say, do nothing. You don't need to worry. God is such a good and loving God that he would never send anybody to perdition. Others say a self-betterment program will do. But these things leave unresolved man's most fundamental problem. Psychology would call our problem emotional behavior. Philosophy calls it irrational thinking. Sociology calls it a cultural lag. The humanities call it human weakness. History calls it a class struggle. Dear people, the Bible calls it sin. As Dr. McGee would say, that's where the rubber meets the road. The Bible calls it sin. And sin leads to death and separation from God. Man says he's alienated, but he doesn't really understand how deep is his plight. Alienated means separated, basically. But essentially, man's problem is more than closing a gap between man and God. Our need touches our guilt and our sin before God. And all that is wrapped up in the question... What must I do to be saved? Pardon me. Paul and Silas were on their second missionary journey as we come to the 16th chapter of the book of Acts. They had visited a number of churches, and I'll not read the whole list, 1541 lists, some ones, others. And Paul's ready to continue preaching. But the Holy Spirit closed every door but one. 16, chapter 16, verses 6 through 9. And they passed through the Phrygian and Galatian regions, having been forbidden to speak, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. When they had come to Mysia, they were going on to Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. And passing Mysia, they came to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A certain man of Macedonia was standing over, appealing him, saying, Come over to Macedonia 
And when he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia in concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Drop down, if you will, please, to verses 12 and following. From there they came to Philippi, which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony, and they were staying in this city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to a riverside where we were supposing that there would be a place for prayer. We sat down and began speaking to the women who were there, who had assembled there. And a certain woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple, a worshiper of God, was listening. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. Drop down verse 16, if you will. And it happened that as we were going to the place of prayer, a certain slave girl, having a spirit of divination, met us, who was bringing her masters much profit by fortune-telling. Verse 17, following after Paul and us, she kept saying, kept crying out and saying, These men are bondservants of the Most High God, who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. Just a word or two about this young woman. <clears throat> Apparently, she was something of a ventriloquist. Uh, she had powers of divination. People around her could hear voices, but her mouth wasn't moving. Or it didn't seem to be. And the people, therefore, thought God was speaking. Interestingly enough, in all of this, in all that was taking place, in all that she was saying, all that she was doing, even as a result of demonic uh, possession, she uttered a true statement. She belonged to a group of men who were making money from her fortune-telling. She began to follow the Apostle Paul day after day after day after day. And Paul did not appreciate the unsolicited commercials. One can just imagine. For it seemed to put the message of Paul and Silas in the same category as hers. So Paul, being led of the Lord, turned and cast out this demon. Look at verse 18. She continued doing this for many days. And Paul was greatly annoyed. And turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out at that very moment. Now, as you could well imagine, that offended her masters greatly. Um, she had been making money for them. And apparently doing quite well at it. And Paul had just robbed them of her use. She could no longer do that. And, you know, people will get pretty sensitive when you talk about money. Still do today, don't we? So motivated by this loss, notice verse 19. When her master saw that they had, their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them 
into the marketplace before the authorities. And when they had brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, These men are throwing our city into confusion. They are proclaiming customs which it is not lawful for us to accept or observe, being Romans. You know the story. Crowd rose up, verse 22. Crowd rose up together against them. And the chief magistrates, notice what they did now, tore off their robes, proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And having received such a command... He threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. Now, these stocks were not the kind that you might see if you were to visit Williamsburg, Virginia. Those have holes for the hands and for the feet and for the head. These were different. These stocks consisted of a long series of holes. And the reason for that was one hand could be put in, a, uh, in the stocks in a hole over here, and then they would stretch the body as much as they could and put it in the one as far away as they could get from the other one. Those ca- doing that caused, of course, great pain. Stocks like this were found in Sparta, Athens, and Rome, and in other places. There they were beaten, bloody, stretched in stocks, they must have been thinking, what did we do wrong? If you had been in Paul's place, what would you have thought? Maybe I didn't get the message right back earlier. Maybe the Lord didn't call us to this place. What would you have been thinking? But you know what? These men weren't worried. They weren't fretting. They weren't weeping. They weren't gnashing their teeth weren't even complaining, really. Before going on, there's one lesson that I take from that. And that is that you cannot stop a man from fellowshipping with God. You can't do that. Bonds won't stop folks from having fellowship with God. But can you imagine what the other prisoners thought? I mean, they knew the, these men were in stocks. They knew they had been beaten. They knew they were bloody. What were they thinking? Well, verse 25, I need to read. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. I really would like to know what the other prisoners thought. How can you do that? But soon I take it that they came to listen to Paul and Silas. And the Greek text implies that they even found their music pleasant. Now, at this point, there's an earthquake. How's that for an answer to prayer? The shock of the earthquake caused not only the doors of the prison to be open, but for the stocks to be open as well. The very foundation of the building was shaken. The earthquake, of course, aroused the jailer. And you can almost imagine him getting up quickly and running to see what was going on. And seeing that the doors to the prison were open, 
it was it had to be to his great dismay because he knew he was responsible for the prisoners with his own life and feeling certain they had escaped. He drew his sword and was just about to commit suicide when he heard the words of verse 28. Paul cried out with a loud voice saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Apparently, this earthquake, this catastrophe, was in the experience of the jailer a preview of his coming under the judgment of Almighty God. It was a sign that God could and would judge, and it brought to him the conviction that he was not prepared for such a judgment. The question this man will raise in just a moment or two arises out of the anticipation of judgment. We hear little preaching today about judgment. We hear almost nothing about a man's responsibility to answer to a holy and a righteous God for his sin. And the writer of the book of Hebrews said it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. We have the privilege of declaring the good news of the gospel. But dear people, we also have the responsibility of telling people what happens if they reject the Savior. Alan, excuse me, would you mind getting me a cup of water? I remember the night I trusted Christ. A gravelly-voiced old preacher preaching about hell in a tobacco warehouse in Winston-Salem. I don't mean it to be humorous or whatever, but it was the truth. That man scared me out of hell. Now, be careful how you phrase that, okay? (laughs) He scared me out of hell. I remember crying, telling my dad, I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to go to hell. And it was that night I trusted Christ as my Savior. Why? Somebody told me that I was a sinner and that I needed to trust Jesus. Or here's your destiny. The Spirit of God was convicting this jailer. What else could have caused this rough, coarse, callous individual to fall down trembling? Excuse me. Thank you. I mean, think about the situation. The earthquake had passed. It was gone. The skies were not dark and the earth rumbling and uh, the building that he was in. The earthquake was gone. That, didn't, that wasn't the cause of his asking this question. Fear of losing the prisoners was not the cause of his concern and fear either. For he knew they were there. All of them were there. None of them had left. So what caused the jailer to act in this manner? It was this man's conviction of what it really was to be a sinner and to know that there was a time coming that he would have to stand before God. That's what struck awe and fear to this man. And that's what caused him to cry out in verse 30, 
Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And would you notice, please, and this is important in our day, I think, in particular. Paul didn't say, join the church. There's a church right down the road. Join the church. He didn't say, be baptized. New Testament teaches baptism in obedience to the command of our Lord after a person has come to faith in Christ. Paul didn't tell him to go be baptized. He didn't say, perform good works, reform, or all of the other things that we hear so much about in our day. A person isn't saved because he does those things. Now, is everything good about being baptized? Is everything good, I think, about joining church? Everything good about a lot of things. But they do not and will not ever lead to salvation. They're not an okay card to get in heaven. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says in verse 31, You shall be saved, you and your household. Believe. Have you ever been told by someone, Well, I know it's, you, you say believe, but I don't know how to, how to do that. I don't understand that. I don't understand when you say believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe, what does that mean? You know, I take it that most of you came to church this morning in a car. How many of you, how many of you here can explain the workings of an internal combustion engine? Well, there'd be some, but not near all. We don't know about an internal combustion. And if you do, if, if you know all there is to know about an internal combustion engine, let me ask you this. Have you ever flown on an airplane? Can you tell me how that thing flies? Probably can't. But we believe. We get in our car and turn the ignition on and, and drive. And we don't think about what the car's doing, what's going on under the hood. When the airplane taxis down the runway, we don't think about what it's going to do. And then, you know, we just, we believe. This thing's going to get off the ground and take me to Atlanta or wherever I'm going. Believe. It's very simple. Believe. On the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. It's personal. It's more than a doctrine. It's a person. We're talking about the Lord Jesus. It's a person. It's exclusive. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, not the church, not an ordinance, not the Lord's table. We do that quarterly, but we don't do it for salvation. And not baptism, not attempting to keep the law. It's personal. It's more than a doctrine. It's exclusive. It's not the, an ordinance or the church or whatever. It's individual. Thou shalt be saved. You cannot believe for someone else, nor can someone else believe for you. You aren't saved because your mom or your dad was a Christian. You're not saved because someone in your family is a Christian. You must believe yourself. You will stand before God all by yourself. The results are certain. Did you notice in verse 31? You shall be saved. Now, Paul adds, and your house. 
This doesn't mean the faith of the jailer saved his family. Not at all. For our understanding, and please don't consider me a heretic for saying this, but for our understanding, we ought to add a phrase, I think, to verse 31. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, and thy house, if they believe. Because we've already seen that it's, it's an individual thing. Now, will you notice how this rough, crude, cruel jailer is changed? Now he's gentle, he's tender, even godlike. Verse 32 And they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in his house. Now, the change, this man comes in verse 33, and he took them that very hour, that minute. He didn't delay. He didn't wait. He didn't say, we'll take care of this tomorrow. Look at verse 33. He took them that very hour of the night and washed their wounds, and immediately he was baptized, he and all of his household. And he brought them into the house and set food before them. And greatly rejoiced, having believed in God with his whole house. This is the one final unanswerable argument for the truth of Christianity. And that is, it changes men and women. It changes men and women. Look at this man. Look at what he was. Look at what he became after he had faith in Christ and trusted Jesus as his Savior. He was a changed person. Notice also verse 33 says he was baptized. That is the scriptural response to saving faith. Baptism in water. The gospel is for all. The conditions, the circumstances may be different for each individual. But all are lost and all have the same need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Here's a story told about an English evangelist. His name was Ebenezer Wooten. After holding extended meetings in Britain, he was taking the tent down. He was having trouble with one of the tent pegs. So he was very much consumed with what he was doing. A little boy walked up behind him. And in a very um, half-hearted and insincere way, he said, Mr. Wooten, what must I do to be saved? Ebenezer Wooten never looked up. He continued working and said these words, You're too late. And a new attitude came over this young lad. What do you mean it's too late? You're still here. What must I do to be saved? Wooten stood up very slowly and said, Son, you asked me what you must do to be saved. You're 2,000 years too late. Jesus did it at the cross. All you do, young man, is to receive it as a free gift. In the same book from which this story comes, we read, 
Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And this morning, on the authority of Scripture, I say to you there's only one who can save you, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. He died for you, and he will save you the moment you come to him in faith and ask him to be your Savior. Tell him you're a sinner. You know that you are. Tell him you're a sinner. Tell him you want to trust him as your Savior. You want to be forgiven. You want a home in heaven. It's that simple, but it's final. Will you receive him as your Savior? Pray with me. Our Father, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you for this jailer whose story we have in front of us in the inerrant word of God. He became a new creature in Jesus Christ. Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. This man did that. And you changed his heart. You made of him a new creature, new disposition, a new love for the one true God. Thank you for these words. And they are just as true today as they were the days in which this incident took place. For one who believes on the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. I pray the Spirit of God would speak that truth to somebody's heart who's here today, who's never yet made that decision. Thank you for loving us, our Father. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to die on Calvary's cross. That we, through faith in him, might have our sins forgiven. That we might be saved. Speak to that heart, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Our hymn of appeal is number 201, Grace That Is Greater Than All Our Sins, 201. Now, listen for just a moment, please. You can pack up your stuff in a moment or two. If you're here this morning and you don't know that you're going to heaven, why not settle it before you leave? I'm not trying to scare anybody like that gravelly throated old evangelist did me. But I will say to you, we don't have our, a guarantee of our next breath. Are you aware of that? We do not have a guarantee of our next breath. You're here. You've heard the message from the Word of God. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Will you do that? Again, I say, may God speak to your heart and to all of our hearts today. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Heavenly Father, it has indeed been a beautiful day in your house today. Thank you for these two beautiful families that have chosen to uh, join membership with this church. We just thank you for each one of their lives, and we just pray that uh, we can be an example to them and, and they to us and learn together 
in your word. Father, uh, we just thank you for, that, for the word that the pastor has preached today about salvation. Uh, there, we just, there are so many outside of these walls that uh, do not know you. All of us here have, at one point in our lives, uh, been presented the gospel, either through a pastor or an individual, and your powerful word convicted our hearts, and, and we accepted you in as our Savior. But there are many out there. There are many, if you ask them, are you going to heaven? They say, well, I hope to. Well, there's a lot of hope to's out there, and hope to won't get you to heaven. I used to be one. And Father, we just pray that you will give us the boldness and the desire to share your word. It doesn't have to be a lot. It just has to be one person. And then start over again with one person and get your gospel out. Father, we pray for our students that are starting back to school. We just pray that you will provide a uh, environment of Christian love and tranquil and just that they will enjoy getting up and going to school every day and also be with our teachers and uh, give them the strength and uh, that they need to go in each day. I know they face a lot of uh, different challenges during their day and just we just pray for them and thank you for them and father we want to lift up our mission of the week uh, teams for medical missions uh, in Jamaica we thank you that you have chosen our church and other churches to uh, send individuals there to uh, give medical attention and construction and most of all to teach the, the gospel of Jesus Christ Father, go with us to our homes, guide and direct us, and help us to share your word. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.